1: Hello, everyone. I'm Jinx Monsoon, and I hope you're ready for a brand new episode of Hi, Jinx, with me, Jinx Monsoon. Now, never before have I included a trigger warning (laughs) during the opening of one of my episodes, but I feel it's fair to forewarn everyone listening today that my guests and I have an extremely candid and um, at times explicit conversation. Um, We're not talking about anything that we should be ashamed about, but maybe this is one episode you don't listen to at work, unless you work somewhere where they enjoy talking about pegging and other sexual acts freely and unapologetically, because that's what we have going on today. (laughs) With my guests, Susie Q and Michael Vegas, two adult stars who not only have paved their own way in the uh, erotic self-production realm of entertainment, but who are also a loving and committed couple who both work in the industry. We're going to talk about a lot of different things and many topics you probably won't see coming, but I hope you enjoy it. And um, maybe you learned something new about your own proclivities today on a brand new episode of Hijinks. Forever. I'm Jinx Monsoon, and welcome to Hi, Jinx, a podcast where I, an internationally tolerated drag superstar, get to interview compelling and fascinating people about how they became who they are and why they do what they do. Today, we are joined by adult film stars and power couple Michael Vegas and Susie Q. Hi, Michael. Hi, Jinx. Hi, Susie.
0: Hi, Jinx.
1: I want to thank you both for being my first ever threesome episode. This is <gasps> this is the first time I've ever attempted I, to interview two people at once. But this I really is the, way.
2: the first threesome
1: for people. Pop in that cherry. Mm-hmm. Do you? Oh, there we go. Are you a lot of people's first anything, <laughs> everything? Oh yeah. I, I have been, usually I have been many a
2: first.
0: You were my first gangbang. That's how we met. Excellent! Amazing! You oh. were part
2: of my first gangbang. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I like being the whole gangbang. I like you. <laughs> you were my first gangbang. Well, hey, with the what wonders feels like.
1: of technology, you know, <laughs> soon we'll be having one-person gangbangs, mm-hmm. and all of them will just be the same person. Mm-hmm. Green screens can do that. it all. If
2: only there so- was a. If only there was a replica somehow. <laughs>
1: Uh we're gonna get into replicas but now you've just said to me that you met at a gangbang and I think I need to hear that story (laughs) wait wait, we we met at a gangbang in a castle
0: in a castle in the the (laughs) basement of a castle um in San Francisco in gosh what year was that like 20 it's like 2013 2014 Yeah, Kind of a while ago, a a different time altogether. (laughs) So yeah, I was um, modeling a lot for kink.com at the time because they were local to San Francisco, producing a ton of porn in this historic building on Mission Street, which was the San Francisco Armory, which you've probably Mm -hmm. seen
1: in memes.
0: Here and there. Well, and they,
1: yeah, and they. Um, I've I've seen some of the films to come from there, and yes. d- doesn't it start with a picture of the armory from outside it does. at night, and like a doom, know.
0: like thunder,
1: like <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um,
0: which I love. I mean, like I grew up watching Rocky Horror Picture Show and like Hairspray and being inspired by John Waters and filth of all different kinds. And so like, before I was, when I was just like stripping up the street in North Beach and um, before I started modeling in films, I used to like look at that castle and it was like Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory. Just like (laughs) nobody ever goes in, nobody ever goes out. And I knew what happened inside there, but I like, I was like, didn't know how to get in, but I eventually got in and that's where I met this guy.
2: Yeah, man, I remember the first... Because I didn't realize that kink.com was in a castle. And so the first time I showed up there, I was just like, where where are we going? I like this. I like a little bit of uh, fear when you go to work.
0: It was also guarded by like a a little gang of skateboarders. It was like a a very... Uh, iconic skateboarding spot because it has stairs on like three different sides Um, so you had to like brave the skateboarders as you're walking up and you know most people in town know what that place is so it's a little like Mm -hmm. hello just me walking into this porn castle (laughs) (laughs) good day san francisco
1: (laughs) so it it really was a fairy tale is what you're saying (laughs) totally like absolutely and like what a
2: what an insane fun experience it was so cool because it was suzy q's fantasy gangbang and mm-hmm. you know it's like i love making people's dreams and fantasies come true it's part of why that's <laughs> part of why i love doing uh performance uh sexual performance gigs and acting those things out and to get to be there and know that it's this person's like she set it up she had the idea and she handpicked the players so it's like not only awesome but also an honor to like be <laughs> part of someone's fantasy so that was very cool uh, yeah i
0: was uh, writing my column for the san francisco weekly at the time called the whore next door which i can send mm-hmm. you the link to like the essay i wrote um about <laughs> but yeah i was a, a big san francisco giants fan at the time um they were in kind of that like uh, winning streak you know for the first time in like 50 years <laughs> and it was very tied with my like sex- anyway baseball is <laughs> very important to me I'm very gay for baseball um, and so <laughs> the directors at the time were very much like into fulfilling these epic gangbang fantasies for, for the models so um, yeah and Michael I knew some of the guys I had chosen a lot of the players like Mickey Maud mm. was there Owen Gray was there just you know some homies that I knew were gonna like do it right. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, Michael was, I didn't know at all. And he came up to me and he said before the gangbang started, he's like, I don't know if you, uh, you noticed, but, uh, I actually have the smallest penis here. So if you need some help (laughs) warming up your butthole, as this guy knows about buttholes, I would come to learn, um, in a very, you know, deep way. <laughs> and I, I can help. And I like looked at him and it was just sort of like this glimmer of a moment that was like, okay, game on. And I said, uh, you know what? I did notice you have the smallest <laughs> penis here. And if you think you can even get it in my butthole, <laughs> Like that's really big. But yeah, absolutely. And you know, it was just on from there. It was like sex clown on sex clown. He was like hitting me in the face during the gangbang and laughing really hard, and just like I was laughing, coming everywhere. So we've been friends ever since. And we started dating like several years later.
2: Yeah, I, I'm definitely a maniacal laugher during the gangbang. It's SMI. crazy. It's like when you see it in person, if you witness a gangbang in person with a team of people that know how to do it, right? You gotta have you gotta have performers that like know how to work together like put legs and like not spend too much time discussing how to get to a position yeah. and more about just like you know you're in a gangbang you're kind of like this little it's object like that just floats around. yeah, yeah. <laughs> your sex object is the as the person that's the center of attention and so it's nice to work with the team that gets done and when when you're in highly recommended position, the first date Yeah, when you're in that position, what I love about it so much is you get to look someone in the face when they're just getting, like, overwhelmed by dicks. (laughs) And there's, like, it's, like, fear and excitement and joy and pleasure and pain and everything. And she's, like, ah, so I feel like you you really see... Who someone is when that's going oh, on. Oh,
1: yeah. There's no, there's nowhere to hide nope. in a gangbang. I have to imagine. I personally have, oh, well, as I was about to say that, I'm like, uh, ah. I've been gangbang adjacent. <laughs> I, I'm not a, not a true gangbang, but, um, you know, there's, I've had some, there's been more than dick. one or two people in the room before, but that was a, that was my one foray into that experience. I I I think I'd do best one on one or one on two. <laughs>
0: oh yeah oh yeah you know a gangbang is not something that you like do every Saturday or anything like that it's kind of it can be a once in a lifetime experience for people I've done it three or four times now and I plan to do more (laughs) um but it's it's a lot just even logistically like it's helpful like you need a producer even if you're just going to do it like personally and not you know Mm -hmm. make a film of it you still need someone to kind of produce that gangbang and like figure (laughs) out everybody's testing and like how what everybody snacks everybody needs
1: nearby Mm -hmm. and lube and like all of these logistics, <laughs> the snacks—you don't think about the snacks, the craft services, not just so scheduling, important. getting so six important.
0: people in a room to like all have sex at the same time—that oh, yeah. is hard in this day and age. You so. can't
1: even get six people
2: to go on vacation together. How are Seriously? you gonna get them to show up to work? <laughs> yeah.
1: So I just love this as your meat cute. Um, <laughs> was that a gangbang? Um, Michael started by offering to help you. <laughs> <laughs> with anal intercourse. And we're going to get into, you 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 mentioned it, but um, we'll get into Michael's own experience with butt stuff. Oh, yeah. But first, let's talk about, you know, um, like, I, I don't know that I, what's the word for it? The candor, the candor, the transparency of Michael just coming up and saying, I have the smallest penis here, but we're talking about a, a, a I assume, a room full of well endowed people. So to yeah. say you have the smallest penis in a room full of huge dicks probably. It's <laughs> not saying know, a like, lot. <laughs> and to be
0: clear, I think that John Strong's dick is smaller than yours. I would, I would bet money on that, just for the record. Great cool <laughs> and he was there anyway but <laughs>
2: yeah I mean, you know there's there's a point in your life as a male performer or, or like just as a, someone with a penis that worries about its size in general i'll say mm-hmm. okay mm-hmm. um you you're always comparing yourself to like bigger dicks and like it's like yeah I, I don't feel like i have a small penis but at one point in my life you're just you're so unsure right <laughs> you don't and know your yeah. whole
0: scale is just off
2: <laughs> and then you end up around people that have the biggest dicks in the world. <laughs> the
0: actual biggest.
2: the actual biggest and mm-hmm. you're just like, huh, okay, well, like, wow,
0: maybe it's small, I don't
2: know. <laughs> maybe it's small maybe it's small, but also like, I am so glad I could regularly put my penis in someone without causing dramatic injury. (laughs) There are, there are many stories you hear from female performers that are just like, can't, can't work with that person. Can't do that. Can't can't get fucked this way because their dicks are just too, too big. big. Like, I really yeah. like, I really like being able to touch my hips against butt cheeks. Mm. <laughs> and if he's got like, And
1: that wouldn't my, happen if you yeah, had an arm like, attached to
2: you. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So,
1: yeah.
2: well, rel- um, perspective.
1: I don't want to, um, I don't want to talk about this as if this is like, a, okay, we all know that the standards um, for women's bodies are exponentially more intense than the standards put on men's bodies. Absolutely. But there is there is a thing about like penis size, uh, whoever you are, it's something we're inundated. You know, anyone with a penis is worried about the size of their penis. And for me being like a 95% bottom, I'm like a, I'm like a once in a blue moon top. I have never like really needed to have a giant penis, but it always felt like, should you know like should i be worried about the size of my penis and right. then i had to i had to lean into the joke of it like if some you know on the cruising apps and stuff if someone asked the size of my penis i'll say like that doesn't really matter you're not going to be concerned with that with that side it's <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> not not
0: really uh, the point is moot
1: <laughs> it's not going to come into play you know i it's a non-issue. I, I, I and through that it's like through that I now have zero insecurities about my penis, but I did spend moments of my life thinking would my life be different and or better if I had one of those giant penises? And I I don't think it would. I mean it would be different, but I don't think it would be better. I
0: remember being on a um, I used to do a radio show with my like drag mother slash like stripper mom uh, Princess Pandora we did hot girl radio or something and like you know guys would call in from the Bay Area in between like rock songs it was very like (laughs) rowy you know but this guy guy called in once like what do you think ladies does size matter and as predominantly a top my um uh, Mother Pandora was like, how do I say this with FCC regulations? Like, how do I say this on the radio? Um, I like boys that look like girls from behind. I'm more of a pitcher than a catcher. How- <laughs> um, it's not an issue. It's like, it's not even <laughs> on the table for me. Like you're missing the point of why I even want to have sex with you, you know? So it's like, it's all about perspective. And uh, um, somebody with a, quite a bottom, Mr. Vegas, <laughs> You have a unique
1: perspective, I think. Yeah, definitely. I, I will say, you know, I, I, I call myself a bit of a size queen. But, oh, um, you know, I, I I like a big dick. I don't yeah. think there's a, a, a lot of <laughs> people who are like, he, no, there there's people. There's oh, yeah. definitely people who prefer small penises. But for me, you know, um, there's the dick I want to sleep with once a month. And then there's the dick I want to settle down with. Mm-hmm. And um, which is considerably more manageable in a day-to-day capacity. I do, and I feel compelled to confess this um, to you, both and this is the first time I've ever shared this story publicly but in college I hooked up with a um an adult entertainer um from a cruising app and um I I I don't know that he's active in the industry now but he had probably one of the top three largest penises I've ever seen physically in front of me and he asked if I wanted to bottom, and I said I was too intimidated, and I, 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 I was like, I just, I, I don't know. I've never tried a penis that large. And looking back on it, at 34 years old, it's probably one of my biggest sex regrets that I didn't ah, at least try. Yeah. That I didn't try and see, you know? <laughs> but, uh... Totally. I think we have to talk about it because we've mentioned it so many times and it's not like it's a big like stop the presses (laughs) moment, but it is something that you wouldn't um, expect out of someone known in the straight porn industry. Um, But Michael is a well-known name in straight porn doing all the big studios. But you also um, with Susie have your own porn industry um <laughs> yeah. in which you take massive uh, apparati, uh <laughs> among other things up your butt and let's talk about that journey for you how did we end up with michael vegas the piggy uh, butt play bottom
2: <laughs> first off where does it go <laughs> <we> <laughs> it it, okay let's start i'm so proud
0: that that's how you were introduced on a podcast i just say like when i when i met this guy that was not he was not sort of out in that way and like watching you transform and come out about this part of your sexuality and be a leader and an inspiration for other people to embrace who they are and like oh i just i love you so much so proud uh, you you know well
2: the life lesson when you embrace who you are you can gain true power and Mm -hmm. you can take away hurtful things that other people can say to you if you can eliminate that hurt yourself first and so I, yeah, <laughs> I joke, jokes on you <laughs> fools this was for me <laughs> uh, okay so um you know ages ago back when <laughs> uh dropping the the f-bomb against uh, as a homosexual slur was in mm-hmm. my vocabulary i You know, I just, you know, it was the nineties, man. It's just like, you just use that word. And like, Mm. you know, I wasn't, I never like had hate in my heart. It was just part of it. But like that, that sort of thing becomes stuck in your vocabulary. Okay. So Mm. over the years, you know, you, you know, like I wasn't even a sexual person when I was using that word. And
1: And it's conditioning, you know, like, I, I mean, I think back, I've known I was queer my entire life. But there were moments where I totally said things that I didn't agree with or believe in because that felt like the only way to fit in with other guys. And that is conditioning, telling us that the only way to be a man and survival, but the only way to be a man is to, you know, uh, be strictly straight and really aggressive with your with your straightness, and and make sure that anyone who's not straight knows that you're not cool with it. That was just what we were conditioned to believe was natural and normal. So, anyway, just to, to help you out yeah, there, now yeah, feel free to I, I, yeah, go on.
2: <laughs> I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Um, and so, you know, I I grew up this this life living with dudes, where you're like trying to be a cool dude right and and so in fitting in just like you said um but i was also always allowed to be like a weirdo kid wearing costumes and encouraged to be like like whatever i want and so there was this like have to fit this model of being a guy and then also being whatever little weirdo michael is till till this very day uh and so um, you know, fast forwarding into the sexual part of my life, it's like I, you know, I when I was sixteen, hitting up the old AOL chat rooms, <laughs> definitely talking to a woman. Someone, <laughs> someone told me to touch my butthole while I was masturbating, and so I did, and like it felt naughty and cool, and I was like, all right, like I like the like the naughtiness of that, and like you know, my butthole, whatever. And So like I wasn't like <laughs> wasn't super into it, never really like. Got involved with it, um, and you know, but just wasn't wasn't into experimenting with men or anything like that in my life. And then fast forward many years, where I was a more fluid person, and like I was interested in doing pornography because it just seemed like a fun, exciting thing to do in my life. My friend Ryan had uh, met with Mike Hancock and had done some uh, gay stuff with him, and like some bi stuff with his girlfriend and Mike and I was interested and so I was like okay we'll try it and you know they kept trying to sell me on I'm like doing some gay stuff and making some money and finally (laughs) I was just like cool I will like (laughs) I will try that out because at that point in my life I had a bunch of relationships with women that were just they just ended awful and in so much hurt and like Like I'm not trying to do that to people, and I'm not trying to do that to myself, and I'm not the type of person that keeps making a similar mistake. So, like, Mm -hmm. let's change up the equation. Maybe you're supposed to be dating guys, Michael, because dating, like, you get along with guys famously. Out, like, you're not (laughs) trying to have sex with them or anything. That's never been on your mind. But like, maybe you're wrong. You've been wrong before. So, (laughs) so let's try it out. But like, also, like, I don't want a guy to fall in love with me. That would feel like uh, people fall in love with me quickly. And so that was like, (laughs) I I can't like go to a bar and like try to find some guy to pick up. Like that would feel like that was even more odd than doing gay porn for the first time, right? Mm -hmm. Like just even the thought of that. And so like I, you know, with these people that felt like in a comfortable environment, I went and I did uh, a couple of gay scenes. I mostly topped, and then I I was given the opportunity to bottom for a strap-on scene for them, and it's like that's hot. Okay, like I knew, like I like my butthole touched. I knew that I was attracted to femme energies, but like. Where does this all fit in? I wasn't like super mm-hmm. aware of strap-on stuff at this point in my life. Um, Still feeling ashamed and gay from, from all of the judgments of of myself on my past and other people that I had to suffer at this point in my life now, too. <laughs>
0: I think like the common like wisdom of the time was just like, if you like things in your butt, you are certainly gay. Oh, mm-hmm. cool yeah, stop. absolutely. Like that was just. Yes.
2: It's yes, hard exactly. to
0: rewrite that at the time culturally so yeah.
2: so difficult to rewrite that and like if anything about it would come out your friends make fun of you forever and that was social death and like that mm-hmm. at that point in my life was the worst thing ever right so social death is truly horrific for people and you know suicides are committed over that sort of thing and like it's just it's too much to bear for me anyhow uh so i i did get the strap-on scene and i was like all right that was cool still feel still like i like that more than i like having sex with the guys um like having sex with the guys wasn't terrible like i like people Mm -hmm. and and, like i wasn't forced to do anything
0: sex so yeah i wasn't forced to do anything
2: i didn't want to do my dick got hard and i was able to do it it was (laughs) was a hot erotic situation which i liked so like that that fluid part of myself was born but also like it just never was like hey michael would you like to have gay sex or straight sex it's like well i have the option okay great I'll do this one. <laughs> um so i so i um love that chap on scene and that left this point in my life where i was like okay i like i like butt stuff and i like it with them i'm gonna put more things in my butt right so like throughout my my own shameful masturbatory life i was <laughs> I, from from like 20 what did I, 19 until now, I'd like, I just, you know, put stuff in your butt occasionally, mean, like you buy mm-hmm. toys and you buy things, you buy small stuff. Like, and one day, I was, uh, you know, fast forward in the future, I have started doing, uh, I've, I've had a marriage and a motorcycle death. And I have come to this point in my life, where I'm doing uh, mainstream adult film, and I have gotten comfortable enough talking with people that I know are also kinky about my my like of butt stuff but I was also mm-hmm. still too afraid to admit my the extreme level at which I like butt like stuff because <laughs> like you know what? you can take a strap on and be straight but if you take a fist you're gay
0: like oh. is that the
1: rule that well, was that was the, that <laughs> was
2: that the, that weird the new rule I had. like who, who are you in here what who's making the shit up
1: um I it, I I, I think it's so fascinating because i I think this was um like part of the first conversation we had, you and I, Michael, mm-hmm. um before we had met in person, but we were just talking through Instagram or something. um and i i i I'm paraphrasing, but the sentence you said to me was, I just want the men of the world to know that it feels good to put stuff up your butt and yeah. and yeah. that and that's a thing that it's like. I I think there's, you know, there's it's a twofold thing um, because there's the the conditioning to um, have shame around any kind of queer identity. There's the conditioning where if you like something up your butt, you're gay um, and um, that misconception. But I also do think that there's a lot rooted in misogyny here because there's, you know, I think there's lots of times where it's like, okay, you know, if if you're having gay sex, maybe you identify as queer, maybe you identify as a straight person who's down with having gay sex, whatever. But to be the top is exponentially more like accepted and less um, less uh, demonized than being the bottom. And if you're the bottom, you're you know you have to be gay if you're if you're right. the one taking it, you know.
0: Absolutely. And
1: when in reality the physiology of it is if you're doing it right and you're doing it and, and I think bottoming is you know uh Garble. 80% mental you know like you have to be there mentally you have to want it and be open to it because you know like uh, let's just say if there's resistance there it's not gonna be fun for anyone or- <laughs> So, but the physiology is it can feel good to put stuff up your butt, whatever your sexuality is, whoever your partner is. And the only reason more people don't explore it is because of the negative connotations that come with it.
2: Absolutely. And, you know, what I, what I've realized is that in cis hetero culture, the bottom has no power. Right? Mm. That's what they've been told is the power dynamic. Misogyny! (laughs) Misogyny, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so... And so, if you were told you were the one that possessed the powers of bottom your our entire lives, wouldn't it change your perspective on what role you wanted to play? And so, it was mm. truly just men's power games, and not even sexual identity that was coming into yeah. play with, like, not this all like same misogynistic <laughs> I
0: remember being a um, you know annoying little Hermione Granger honor student as I was, and um, I read this. Uh, anthropology book called the chalice and the blade and it was like all about you know the the idea that we're we think, you know, misogyny, cishet culture tells us like, the first tool that, that uh, humans started using was like a spear, or something to strike something mm-hmm. with. But that's not true at all. It was a basket. It was a bowl. It was something to hold things in. It was a chalice to put things in because that's the first thing that we need. Before we need to strike something, we need to hold something, right? And, like, just wanting to have this conversation large, more, more broadly about gender, I remember mean, being like, Mrs. Eagle, um, do you think <laughs> that, like, the psychology of just, like, moving through life, being someone who is penetrated versus being someone who penetrates, does that do something to us like psychologically (laughs) and just like Dakota, no, no, no. No, like so many times I like wanted to have those conversations with my teachers through school and was like shut down and like, Hey, guess what? Mrs. Eagle, (laughs) guess what? Yeah, it does. And like the first time Michael, you know, like really embraced his power as a bottom similarly, like, you know, I felt so powerful during that gangbang, you know, getting filled (laughs) with all this, all these dicks. And I feel a different kind of power when I remember the first, um, porn that I did where I was like, Hey, can I only wear a strap on today. Like, can I, can (laughs) I just top? It was, you know, at least Mm -hmm. five years into my career. And Mm -hmm. I was, uh, shout out to Gizzly and Shine Louise Houston, pink and white, crash pad, (laughs) love you forever. Thanks for letting queers have sex how they want. Um, (laughs) But that that changed something in me, being like, no, I can show Mm -hmm. up and just be the one who's penetrating.
1: I I think that the power, we're told all the time you know, I'm trying to figure out where to start here because I feel like we're talking lot. about so many worthwhile things. Yeah. But first of all, we are told from birth that because, uh, uh, based on our genitalia, that that is going to determine who we are for the rest of our lives. It's going to determine how we have sex. It's going to de- determine, like our, we our standing in the world, what we what wear, how we, we present ourselves, how we're able to identify to ourselves, and then you know we're having the conversation now more than ever of like none of that is true, none of what you were raised to believe is true because Literal fairy tales. <laughs> you literally get to make all the choices in your own life, and um, and you know to be a person with one set of genitalia does not actually determine the rest of your life unless you let it determine the rest of your life. And so, you know, be a person with a vagina and be a top, be a person with a penis and have be a bottom, uh, you know, any combination or variation on anything is possible. Uh, and the only reason we don't know that from birth is because our society tells us otherwise. And so, while what you're doing is is, is it's kinky porn, it's hot, sexy porn, it's also, you know, it's a bit of a movement, you know, <laughs> And I think yeah. we see the ripples. I've actually, talked quite a bit recently because one of my favorite porn things lately has been straight porn where the man is getting rimmed.
0: Mm, It's very (laughs) popular these days. Rimming is like mainstream fully. Mm -hmm. It's like, it's very, it's like standard in, in your mm -hmm. average porn scene now. And it was not five years ago.
1: Oh yeah. Uh, Taboos are being like taboos and fetishes are being, um, uh, mainstreamed in a way and rapidly. Like, I remember feeling scared to let anyone know I had a foot fetish, you know, just a few years ago. And now it's like every OnlyFans model does foot foot stuff because they know their audience wants it. Not even OnlyFans um, models. Like,
0: soccer moms <laughs> are making extra money
1: <laughs> taking pictures of their feet. And that is the world we've been fighting for for a long time mm-hmm. in my <laughs> you know? Um, but yeah, just the... And, and the reason why I say straight porn where the d- guy is getting rimmed because, you know, like it's fairly common in, in queer porn, you know, uh, yeah. rimming is not going to like blow anyone's minds <laughs> in queer porn. But what I specifically like right now is seeing men who are known for their straight male porn careers, now take on this role that is more vulnerable, Mm -hmm. considered more feminine, and considered not straight. And to see, you know, these straight porn stars I've seen fuck countless women in a very like, I'm a man fucking women way, lift up their legs and get their ass eaten by a woman who um, is now in control mm-hmm. it's, it's really like a sexy tiny to me girl, like
0: half their size too it's like suddenly just like oh
2: dropping up a leg
0: yeah <laughs> like but yeah she makes you feel that way you're not in really control anymore yeah. yeah.
1: susie when we first met um it was it was fairly recently, but um, we we met at y'all's place in California. Yes. I have to say, um, for two adult stars, you live in what feels like a '70s porn set, <laughs> oh, <laughs> complete thank you. with the pool. Thank you the wood paneling on the walls, the the decor, it all screams like you've been transported back to the 70s and you're on a porn set all at the same time. It's really beautiful. Sense. I love that. Um, yep. The Mission pool was nice. that part <laughs> on the Yeah. Um, one of the first things you said to me about yourself, Susie, was that um, uh, you are a queer historian Ooh. and um, you were giving me insight as to why there's... Um, why there was separate prides in L.A. or why there was L.A. pride versus or I can't remember the details, but I didn't fully understand the 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 backstory to how we ended up having pride in L.A. the way we experience it today versus what it used to be. So could you tell my sure. listeners a little bit about that? <laughs> I
0: feel like I'm getting like pop quiz from like <laughs> queer history pop quiz. So I um, I did a couple seasons of a podcast called Ill Repute with my friend Sovereign Sire, who is also like an amateur historian and adult film star. Um, So that's kind of where that like predilection came from. But I've, all, I've always been interested in this stuff and talking about like our house looking like the 1970s. Susie Q has very much been like this vintage cartoon character that I get to step into the shoes of um that I am very much in my soul (laughs) and like when I first started it was very Betty Page very 1950s and then when I moved to LA it got like very more like Doris Day 1960s and like now I'm here in Arcadia and it's very (laughs) 1970s we're just like going through the you know the ages sometimes (laughs) and when I curl my hair it's like 1985 is here (laughs) (laughs) But so I think what you're referring to, and like, please listeners call me out on <laughs> inaccuracies here. Let's like dive deep into this conversation. But I think what I was referencing is that, so the city of West Hollywood actually exists because we wanted to have pride. And, this, and LA, the city of LA wouldn't sanction it is, is I believe what I was talking about. And I don't mm-hmm. like, I'm not an yeah. expert on this subject in any way, but it's my understanding that that is why the city of West Hollywood was founded, so we could have pride down hollywood boulevard um and this was like you know 1971 it was like in the first five or six years of pride even being a thing in celebration of stonewall Mm -hmm. in commemoration of the stonewall riots um so it it was very early on in the inception of like this becoming an inaugural thing and in order to get around the city codes of la we had to create a new fucking town that's like a sanctuary and continues to be a sanctuary um, for LGBTQ plus individuals uh, to this day. Yeah,
1: that is what we were talking about, because yeah. I didn't fully understand that West Hollywood was its own thing. Right. You know, I didn't fully understand that by going into West Hollywood, I was leaving L.A. essentially. <laughs> totally. Totally. Um, uh, so. But I love all that you stuff. B- <laughs> I love, all, I love all the all the nerd stuff. And I love it too. Um, you both were, so we know from your meet cute that you both were already working in the adult industry. Um, you were friends for years before you began your romantic relationship. And now, congratulations, you're engaged because Susie popped the question. And um, my producer actually pulled your tw- tweet or your instagram caption about it this is suzy q media so did you hear the news and then a bunch of emojis we got two wedding rings some clouds some rainbows Lots of birds. some kangaroo a lot of birds and then a lot of pig emojis yeah we are pigs <laughs> um Did you hear the news? We're going to do the thing. I proposed on the zipper at the LA County Fair this year. But the ring needed a little resizing for his big, strong fingers. So we waited a bit to announce publicly. Um, So keeping up with your quote unquote non-traditional relationship. Um, Susie popped the question defying all gender norms that we were conditioned to believe. Um, Tell me a little bit about that experience and also I don't know what the zipper is. Tell me what the zipper is.
0: (laughs) Okay, really quick, it's very important. The zipper is that horrific ride that you see at county fairs that's like, it's a bunch of little tiny cages on Mm. like a long rotating cylinder thing like conveyor <laughs> belt and each individual cage turns as the whole thing goes on a conveyor belt and the whole thing like turns it's it's, <laughs> it's very intense but we love intense experiences we a
2: lot of aggressive flipping over mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> not the place to pull out a tiffany engagement ring like at all <laughs> but um i had you know i did some things it was it was so Okay. So it's not the first time I proposed to someone I was uh, engaged, but when gay marriage was still illegal, um, very Mm -hmm. early, like 21, I proposed to my girlfriend at the time who is now living his life as a man. And, um, but years ago, you know, we were tiny little baby queers and, um, you know, I proposed at the time it didn't end up working out. Um, we're still, we're still friends. And then I had enough I was proposed to by my now ex husband, um, so
1: we're you know I'm not new at this. And <laughs> so you each have one marriage under your belt. Michael has two. Oh, Michael has two.
0: divorcepornographersclub.com dot that com. Is, that is us for sure. So it's like that's nice. the next <laughs> website for sure. <laughs> no, no one's new, and I realized I and I had a wonderful proposal, even though my you know. If we are now divorced. I was like proposed to in front of the, uh, magic castle at Disneyland, like during the fireworks, it was totally, you know, the thing. And I realized, I was like, Michael's never been proposed to, he's proposed to <laughs> two different people. It hasn't worked out. Like he deserves, he deserves, everyone deserves that feeling of like being picked mm. and being cherished. And he makes me feel that way every single day. You know, like he got me this ring, which is the Disney, um, villains, Captain Hook, uh, spring like it has a garnet <laughs> on it like he you know, I me mean, that just as a matter of course like I usually wear a collar because we have a BDSM mm-hmm. committed relationship so like <laughs> he'd said the thing I, I felt picked you know and so um mm-hmm. when we went and saw our friend Robbie Echo another adult film star get married um we were staying at the Virgin Hotel uh, new virgin which formerly the hard rock where the adult video news awards which is like the Oscars of porn has happened every year. We spent so many years in that hotel. And I was just overwhelmed with this feeling of just like, oh my God, like I cannot move forward in my life until I make sure this man knows that, like, he, I, I I want him <laughs> I want him forever <laughs> and so I brought it up then I didn't have a ring at the time but I was like hey this I I need you to know that this is where this is headed and I picked out the ring I talked to my best friend who's like been my best friend since the seventh grade and like went back and forth with my mom and my aunt and my cousin and picked out this ring from Tiffany <clears throat> which like Tiffany is important for sex workers. If you don't understand why, just go watch Breakfast at Tiffany's. Fast forward to all the racist parts of Mickey Rooney and understand. (laughs) It's important for us. And um, it is a ring that was designed by Pablo Picasso's daughter, Paloma, that has, um, it's in the style of two eternities, which is like the flower of life. Michael is a juggler, spins poi, that like sort of, flower of life mm. uh infinity oh, it's beautiful <laughs> thing it's got a little diamond in it and it's engraved on the inside it says he it's <laughs> my he so yeah and I proposed so, when it was finally ready we were I was going to do it at the LA County Fair at this one particular place but everything's closed because of COVID and so we were just mm-hmm. like on the zipper and it wasn't like going fully it was that point where like the Ferris wheel they're taking everybody mm-hmm. down and so it we was just like it was safe it was safe enough to pull up the ring and I was like by the way <laughs> I told you. Yeah. <laughs> That's how it happened. Yeah.
2: That no. felt, it felt so good to get proposed to and like to be picked like that. It was really, you know, it was such a, was such a, I can't even talk about it. It made me feel so nice.
1: <laughs> I love that. When when my partner and I, um, we had talked about getting married. And then when the proposal finally happened, it was, you know, mid-COVID because we had talked about right. getting married. We knew we wanted to do it, but we thought, saw it as a down the road thing. And then COVID made us feel like we don't know what's going to happen with this. Yep. It made us realize in our young lives, like, we don't know what moments are going to happen in our histories where, like, everything's just going to change. And we decided we don't want the next thing to happen. Uh, we don't want COVID to last forever. We don't want the next big like world change to happen without us being married. And then also there was, you know, we didn't know what our future entailed in, in America. And the UK is (laughs) not, the UK is not much different as far as the political climate Mm -hmm. and the trials and struggles we're, we're experiencing right now of politicians trying to move us backwards in time Mm -hmm. and take away hard fought for rights and and we decided you know we want to get married now because we already knew we wanted to but we got to do it now before anything else changes Mm -hmm. and um we actually took turns proposing to each other um i love that I proposed to him and then, um, and then I said, you want to do it? And he was like, oh yeah. And then he got down on his knee and he proposed to me. And so we've said since then that we proposed to each other, you know, it was a, it was a mutual proposal and it really did. Yeah. There's nothing like it in the world (laughs) to be able to look at someone and say, Hey, I've made this decision that for the next segment of my life, I need you to be there.
0: <laughs> the foreseeable future, please. And yeah. Thanks. Oh, congratulations. I love
1: and, that. Oh, well, thank you. And congratulations to you too. And, um, now back to some sex talk. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Not with that fleshy stuff. Let's talk about the sloppy stuff.
1: As an observer to the adult industry, but also as a, as a live entertainer and a, and a performer myself, um, you know, this industry is riddled with people who uh, who exploit performers, you know, like there's no other word for it. There's a lot of exploitation in yep. any entertainment and performance industry. And I am kind, this is, you know, this is just a hypothesis, this is just me observing, but I do feel like there was a shift happening before the pandemic that I think got propelled forward Mm. because of the pandemic, where the power was starting to go more into the hands of the performers through um, new forms of, you know, new forms of reaching your audience. Like we have only fans and just for fans and different platforms that allow the performer to control what's, you know, how how they're performing yep. and to connect with their audience directly rather than through a studio or, or, or through different channels. Um, and then I think the pandemic shutting down so much of the entertainment industry and we're all working from our homes, That's where all the power was for the last two years is the people self-producing. And so even as we get back into the way the industry normally operates when not in a pandemic, I think lots of people had to stop and realize like uh, you can't exploit performers if they don't work for you. And if (laughs) the performers realize that the power is in their hands, the audience is going to go Excuse me, the audience is going to go where the performer is. Yes. Um, Fans of yours are going to follow you where you go. And if they're watching a certain studio's porn because you're in it and suddenly you're not in it, they're going to follow you where you go. And I think that is causing a shift in mentality where... Exploitation might still be happening, but we're all a lot hipper to it, and we're all a lot more aware of it. And conversations are being had out in the open that used to be just kind of hushed. And all I can say is more power to the performers. And yeah. that, um, besides OnlyFans, you two um, have your own website. Um, what's the name of? Your, I don't want to. I don't want to misquote it. But what's the name of your website? <laughs>
2: Uh, I have PegHim.com in my slogan. Okay, it is peghim But Let's united.
0: <laughs> and I make stuff of, uh, across the gender spectrum at youramericanbabe.com. dot com. Um, so yeah, but like yeah. it's it. You're absolutely right, Jinx. You're one hundred percent correct. Like the, it was already tipping. You know, the advent of social media in and of itself changed the game. Like, you know, that really took the power away from a lot of exploitative like agents and sometimes traffickers who, you know, would be the only access that a model had to studios and work and stuff. Suddenly they had a Twitter account and access to it on their phone and they're booking gigs on their own. You know what I mean? So like that Early, early on, like 2003, 2004, started the shift, and that's right when Michael and I started to enter. And the internet had changed so much, and like these big studios were not making the money that they were because of pirated content, because of the new way that people were consuming adult entertainment. Wow. And we were both really early to OnlyFans and uh, Model Centro, Fan Centro, which is the platforms that our our websites are built on. Um, you know, 2016, 2017. As soon as they were available, we were like this. So this is the way we got to get in on here. And, you know, when pandemic hit, everybody had to lean into that. Um, I think like within the first, well, right when OnlyFans started to announce that they were going to ditch adult content creators about like a uh-huh. year and a half into the pandemic, I created a free guide that people can check out at ilovesqmedia.com. That's 34 different platforms for fearless content creators to monetize their content, whether it's mm. OnlyFans, Patreon, FanCentro, Just for Fans. There's so many options now, and so like I don't want anyone to ever feel like they are in a position where they have to take orders from someone about their body. And that goes down, like I've worked in an office, that counts too, like uh-huh. I remember I have, yeah. I a good friend who was a trafficking survivor. And one day she's like, do you wanna to come to lunch? And I was like, oh, well, I'm at work. I was working at the ACLU at the time. Like, I, I'll have to see, she's like, wait, wait, wait. Are you telling me that you can't leave to go somewhere? <laughs> you have to ask someone's permission to leave? How is that different from when I was kept in a model house? And like, able to make it make sense, baby. Make it make sense. Yeah. And I think we're all kind of at that point. We're all at that point. Like, make it make sense. We have the power. You're We're the ones creating the content no matter what industry you're in. Workers are rising right now
1: and we fucking love to see it. Yeah. And of course, like you mentioned, it's not like these, these self-producing websites aren't without their problems. Right. And... Um, but that just kind of further shows where the power actually lies when, when we break down, you know, when we break down any kind of mind games that have been played on us as performers to make us yeah. think that we aren't in control of our own lives and our own careers. Um, when, when everyone was ready to leave OnlyFans for them banning um, adult content, OnlyFans changed their tune really quickly because they realized, oh... We don't actually call the shots if we're creating a platform for performers to have the power. We have to actually let the performers have the power. Yeah. <laughs> and I want to just mention that you, Susie, have been very outspoken on issues we've talked about Um You were outspoken against California's Proposition 35, um, which tried to introduce vague and confusing um, language about human trafficking to expand Mm -hmm. the definition of human trafficking, which, um, as I understand it, would just make a lot more things seem like not such a big, bad thing if they changed the language around it. <laughs> I mean, th- this was one of
0: my first pieces of activism, like way back in, mm-hmm. in 2012 and, and Prop 35 passed because we did not have the, um, just the discourse that we have now around, mm-hmm. around force, fraud, or coercion around exploitation and around consensual adult sex work. Um, those mm-hmm. conversations were not at the forefront. You know, Cori Bush was not freaking tweeting about only fans. It was different. Yeah. It was very different. And that law passed. And we're still living with that reality. That's why things like SESTA-FOSTA, which passed federally in 2018 um, is fucking everything over that's why people are losing their instagrams that's why lgbtq mm. content is getting flagged and shadow banned um it all trickles down um that, that's why this work is so important to me not only do i personally just love it because i'm a big old exhibitionist slut you know um who <laughs> wants to have gay sex forever uh, but <laughs> i feel that like adult entertainment is like the front lines of the first amendment and as soon as you start taking the rights for us to do what for for consenting adults to do what they want with their own fricking bodies. It all starts to fall apart. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what we're and, seeing right
1: now. And I think, you know, that's what, um, that's a conversation we're having is like, Lots of times laws get introduced in places we don't live and we think, oh, you know, like that sucks, but how's it going to affect me? And the thing is, these things have a chain reaction. Mm-hmm. If you get one law taking away freedoms and agency from people in one part of the country, other parts of the country are going to go, oh, they did it. We could do it too, you know. Yeah. And and so much of it is happening because of the stories we're being fed From the top, from mainstream media, from the people, you know, in control of these narratives. Um, But social media is giving us the chance to communicate with each other. Yes. And that doesn't mean that it's perfect. It doesn't mean that it doesn't get interrupted. (laughs) But we are communicating with each other you know, in a way that is helping us all see through that smokescreen of Mm -hmm. conditioning and through that smokescreen of um, a narrative being sold to us that isn't actually true.
0: And it allows us to build power. So you look at at Prop 35, which passed by like 90 percent or something horrific. Mm -hmm. And just to clarify really quick, that, that law in California is really what conflated consensual adult sex work With all human trafficking, it Mm -hmm. made it so in the law books, and this is so much of how mainstream understands consensual adult sex work, they think it is the same thing as force, fraud, or coercion for the purposes of exploitation, and it certainly is not Um, so anyway that passed. Fast forward four years later, uh, Prop 60, which was uh, a piece of legislation that would have made it possible for my neighbor to sue me if they saw me performing in a porn in a way that they did not mm. like, i.e. without a condom, even if that person was Michael Vegas, my fucking fiance. Um, mm. So it was a ridiculous piece of legislation really aimed at um, at controlling an already marginalized group of people um, and really allowing, you know, these ridiculous... Uh, allowing California to become even more litigious, right? As if we Mm -hmm. need that. Um, And we defeated it. We it was a grassroots campaign. We were outspent 10 to one, but the adult film industry came together with our allies from the LGBTQ community, with our allies from the HIV community, with our allies from pop culture, including Seth Rogen and I think Questlove at one point, you know, like we mm-hmm. we did the thing and we got the information out there pre-TikTok, pre-Instagram reels, you know, this was just Twitter, Facebook and word of mouth and showing up in the streets if we had to, um, but we were able to defeat it. And I think that gave us a lot of strength for the fights that we are going to keep have have to keep fighting, unfortunately.
1: And fights like that have ripple effects. You know, like I think we're in this um, we're in this new time right now where we are actively working against in the queer community. um, We're actively working against the stigma of HIV and we're actively spreading education, and true understanding of uh, the experience of people with HIV and destigmatizing um, HIV. Of course, we want everyone um, to be healthy and we want to keep everyone safe and healthy, but that doesn't mean that if you're in the same room <laughs> as an HIV positive person, that you're gonna walk away <laughs> HIV positive. And I remember, you know, some of it came from survival, you know, teaching mm. safe sex practices was a form of survival for our community, and growing up in the '90s and 2000s, post-AIDS epidemic, you know, I was inundated from a very early age of like, you know, if you have sex without a condom, you're gonna get HIV, and that's the end, you yeah, know, you just and die
0: immediately, yeah, yeah,
1: and so of course we know today that. It's not um, true. It's not true. First of all, yeah. First of all, first of all, HIV is not the end. Second of all, the whole condom conversation, it's a conversation you have with your sex partners. And, yeah. and you do what you're comfortable with and you do what's safe for you. And that's the biggest thing I think that is important for everyone to know right now is that transparent, candid upfront, direct conversations before, during, after sex is what needs to happen. These are um, my compulsory questions I ask every guest. Um, feel free to answer however you feel. Um, first question: Who is your celebrity crush today?
2: Ooh, Martha Stewart. Yeah, Martha <laughs> lives.
0: Okay,
2: <laughs> I'm telling you, I, I, she follows me on Twitter. First off, has for years. <laughs> has, has for years. <laughs> Love you. Love you, Marth. Uh, She's just <laughs> like. Can you imagine how well thought out that sexual experience would be? It'd be like doilies. For so much. Like, great.
0: I am still deeply in love with like the two 1990s starlets that like made me gay, which is uh, Liv Tyler and Melissa Joan Hart, i.e. <laughs> Clarissa from Clarissa Explains It All. <laughs> that they're both know, still cute. I would still like right now, at the age they are now, come through, ladies.
1: I'm ready still. Melissa Joan Hart, Um, fun fact, I recently had Jenna Lee Green, who played Libby on this podcast from Sabrina the Teenage Witch. That was a huge, mind-blowing teenage fantasy come true to be able to sit and talk with a cast of one of my favorite shows. Um, uh, Melissa Joan Hart, I'm just going to... you interpret this how you will, but one of my favorite things is um, I forget which platform, but on her social media, it says, some of you know me as Clarissa. Some of you know me as Sabrina and some of you know me as Mel from Melissa and Joey, but my favorite role in life is mom. Obsessed. I'm kind of obsessed with that. And I also (laughs) love that she said, Clarissa, Sabrina, or Mel from Melissa and Joey. Like she knew that we weren't gonna know Mel right off. <laughs> no, <laughs> she, no. like no, no one knows you as that.
0: Mel. Mel wasn't the up there with
1: that. Clarissa and Sabrina. <laughs> um, my next question for both of you is are you spiritual?
0: Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Witchtown Town USA. I'm a second generation mm-hmm. witch. Um, and like indigenous medicine is a very big part of my like cultural family life mm-hmm. specifically with my mom um yeah and I and I talked to dead people all that one of my best friends <laughs> passed a couple of years ago and so like it's very in touch with uh, uh ghosts we also had a fun adventure with Stormy Daniels at the beginning of pandemic where mm-hmm. she's now doing like full-time paranormal investigation but at the mm-hmm. very beginning mm-hmm. of her interest in that we went to like a haunted house um out in kansas and it was very scary. But yeah house. we love a ghost <laughs> we love a ghost we love a god
2: <laughs> All the yeah i would say i used to be uh like non-spiritual and non-god and I wasn't raised with like a god in my life and then I ended up in a motorcycle accident and like still wasn't god and then all of a sudden I started having flashback experiences where I was like able to be outside myself and to, like remember things that I definitely shouldn't have been able to remember and like you know sometimes you have an experience and like you you have a dream and you're like okay I remember how that felt as a dream and then there are experiences where you're like okay that happened to me and so like I had all of these insane like one with the universe whatever (laughs) I don't know who the fuck I was talking to I still can't explain it to this day but like it definitely changed my perspective on things uh Mm -hmm. there is some unknown force out there that I can I'll tell you about but I still don't know what the fuck happened
0: Starman, waiting in the sky yeah yeah it's David um, actually
1: um my aunt who was uh I always say my mom was my birth mother or is my birth mother and my aunt is my spiritual mother um and my aunt has always, I, I was raised by three moms. my I had my grandma who was the guardian and the like mother bear. My mom who was my birth mom, who at times in my life felt more like an older sister. And then my aunt who was like, she always referred to me as her child. And she's been near death multiple times throughout her life. And is extremely spiritual. Talks to our dead relatives on the daily and It's one of those things where it's like, I don't know what happens when I get that close to death. Um, So all I can do is trust my aunt's experience. And all I can do is um, listen to her, tell her story, and accept it as truth because she experienced something that I have not. Um, My final question for both of you is, what is your go-to karaoke song?
0: Um. the first, go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> uh, the first one, that, so uh, RIP to Porn Star Karaoke, which was an incredible event that really kept me safe and sane my first couple of years in Los Angeles. And uh, my go to for that was like the, the, where I would go have catharsis when I'd have a very hard day of lobbying, fighting Prop 60 and like dealing with the garbage of the Free Speech Coalition, which is where I worked at the time, uh, the Trade Association of the Adult Industry. I would go sing Don't Rain on My Parade by Robert Story <laughs> Just like, it's so cathartic. Like if you, sometimes I just go for a run and like run to the emotional arc of that song and just like, just get it all out. So yeah, that's that's probably.
1: And cool. you you are a musical theater fan. Um oh, yeah. Your your cats are named Fontaine and, and Cosette. Cosette, I knew From it. I, uh, <laughs> no, yes, I went to school uh, for theater. I like have
0: been in plays. I my first play was Treasure Island, the musical version. And I lied about my age to get into the chorus. You had to be seven, <laughs> and I was only six. So. <laughs>
1: Michael, go to karaoke that. song.
2: Oh man. I, well, I grew up with the narrative in my family that we were not able to sing. And so I haven't practiced singing until like two years ago, really. And that was when I started playing acoustic guitar. So I would say the song that I sing most when I like pick up my guitar and like something comes out is Land Down Under by Men at Work.
1: <laughs> I hear it almost every day. <laughs> I got to say, you know, for my first time hanging out with you two at your 70s porn pad, we had the most wholesome day of laying by the pool, playing our guitars and ukuleles. <laughs> you know? And then um, my partner was like, how was your day hanging out with Michael and Susie? And I was like, I hung out with a couple of porn stars and we did a ukulele <laughs> acoustic guitar jam session in Arcadia of my first time to Arcadia. Um, Very you know, awesome. There, there's a there's a misconception um, yeah. I, I think on the outside of the industry I think um, a common misconception is that people in the adult industry do nothing but have sex constantly <laughs> like right. that they don't live fully fully formed human yeah. lives outside yeah. of having sex <laughs> um, thank you both so much for being my first two-person interview this was Absolutely lovely. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day in LA. Oh, the nice. weather looks great behind you. So Fabulous. <laughs> I, <laughs> I haven't even opened my blackout blinds yet, so I don't know what the weather <laughs> is here, but... Oh. I want to thank you both one more time for being my guests. And I want to thank you all for listening to Hi Jinx here on the Forever Dog and Moguls of Media Network. My name is Jinx Monsoon, and we have new episodes every Wednesday, so make sure to search for Hi Jinx on your favorite podcast app and hit subscribe. You can follow me at The Jinx on Instagram or at Jinx Monsoon everywhere else. Um, What's y'all's handles? (laughs)
0: You can find me at Your American Sweetheart on Instagram, Your American SW uh, on the Twitter, and yeah, youramericansweetheart.com. I love SQ Media; that's where all the things can be found.
2: <laughs> For me, you can find me on Instagram at Michael Vegas. You can find me on Twitter at It's Michael Vegas. <laughs> uh, also, check out the Soul Thief Vision. Um, just search it all as one word, and you'll come up with my
1: fun photography Oh, and peghim.com and fun fun fact um, um, Michael Vegas did a photo shoot uh, with me when I was in LA so if anyone has seen those pictures of Michael and I sitting up, my Michael um, uh, sitting on a couch with my ukulele um, that was Michael Vegas who took those photos and that was right around the time that we got engaged so those were more or less our engagement photos Ah, I love that
0: I'm obsessed. I love that.
1: Well, thank you all for listening, and I'll see you next Wednesday for some more. Hi, Jinx. Forever Dog. To listen to Hi Jinx, ad free, and one day early, sign up for Forever Dog Plus at foreverdogpodcasts.com/slash-plus. Hi, Jinx! is produced by Forever Dog and Moguls of Media, a.k.a. Mom. Hosted by me, Jinx Monsoon. Produced by Joseph Shepard. Editing and sound design by Will Pitts. And executive produced by Willem Belli, Alaska Thunderfuck, Brett Boehm, Big Dipper, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey.